there are moments in our lives we look back and we kind of learn lessons that we're not sure we wanted to learn or we don't know what to do with them. So I was thinking about how when I was a, a young person, I remember there was a time when I realized that being young wasn't always a good thing. Um, one story that kind of stands out in my mind is we were at this family's house and there were several families gathered together for a dinner and um, it was getting late, like pretty late for kids to not have eaten dinner. It was like 7.30, 8 o'clock at night and, and the moms were kind of getting restless because if you've ever been around moms with young kids, they want to make sure those kids get fed because they know what they're like when they haven't eaten. And, and so someone prayed and then the mom started to shove the kids first and the guy whose house we were at, he stopped everyone and goes, no. And like moms kind of look kind of funny. He goes, men eat first in this house and then the women and then the kids. I'm like, oh, all right. It's not a house I've ever been in before. We feed those kids first, right? Um, we probably should go the opposite direction. And so it was this moment where like all these moms, there were about three or four families, all but his wife, everyone kind of like, oh, this is different. And everyone kind of paused and you're like, wait, if we're a kid, we have to go last? What if there's nothing left? I mean, that was, I was like eight or nine. So that was all my thought was, will there be enough for me? But see, it's not just in moments like that, but there are all kinds of times when we create systems and structures and hierarchies that push young people back in different ways. Now, I want to be fair. We can do the same thing to people on the other side of life as well. Um, But often, that's not what happens. What we find over time is that we kind of push young people back and say, you will know when you're older. Now, I want to be clear today. Um, if you consider yourself a young person, I'll let you determine whether you're young or not, because I still think I am. Um, but if you consider yourself a young person or not, um, you, can, you can kind of put yourself in this category throughout this conversation this morning. But, but sometimes what we find happens is that um, over time, the, uh, the systems, we don't know what to do with them. And so here's what I mean by that. I want my doctor to have gone to school for a really long time. I, I don't like the idea of a first-year biology student being the one who operates on me. I want that person to have spent 12 years in school, right? I really want that doctor, not the first-year medical student, right? I mean, we get that. There are certain things you have to learn by experience, and time is the only one that can help with that. But other times, have you noticed how as we get older, we miss opportunities um, to offer compassion or love or empathy to the generations behind us. We can be so focused. I know I can be so focused on what I'm doing that I can miss opportunities that are right in front of me. Have you ever done that? And I know some of us in this room are going, well, no one ever prioritized me when I was young and I turned out okay. Did you? Did you turn out okay? I mean, if we're honest, did you turn out the way you really wish you turned out? But I was thinking about this. We really want to be the kind of church that prioritizes young people and families. And that's really important. And it's important for a lot of reasons. One of them is if we don't do that, then the church is always one generation away from there being no church. Like, that's how that happens. If all the young people don't come back, then everyone dies. It's kind of a bad deal, right? And one of the things I appreciate about most of us in this room is we kind of get that. In fact, what I'm about to say almost sounds like a contradiction, right? Because one of the most vibrant ministries of our church is our senior adult ministry that meets uh, most Mondays. And I say one of the most vibrant ministries of our church. You're like, why are you talking about young people and you're now talking about old people? And I didn't say you were old. I'm just saying that's what others would say. Because you meet on Mondays when everyone else is working. It means you're retired. No, you're not. You're young. Um, 
Why would I say that? Well, because one of the great things about that group is they're like able to be self-sustaining and they're kind of like, hey, no, we just want to want to be investing in others and how can we do that? And so it's not that we ever want to say we don't value every generation in the church because we do. We think everyone matters to God. We think every person in the face of this earth has a unique story. We think every person Jesus died to save. But if churches don't make space for young people, when those young people are older, they won't be there. And so this whole series we've been talking about these last few weeks is centered on the idea of making space. So the first week we talked about this idea that the message of Jesus needs to be central to everything we do. And too often things like politics or business or just busyness have kind of eroded and pushed away the message of Jesus. And so we've kind of compromised the message of who he is and what he's invited us to at times. And so we talked about what does that look like. And then we talked about the idea that sometimes we have missed the boat in terms of empathy, not just for young people, but for one another. Like, well, just suck it up. Instead of going like, how can I... Can I be there for you in this? And we said, well, what if, well, when it came to our relationship with younger people, what if we first connected and then corrected? Like we invited them into life and then offered conversation into that because it's pretty tough to be a young person. In fact, I, I used a line last week that I'm using again today that I think matters for the life of the church. We must create space for doubt, uncertainty, and questions. That's a must for us. It's not a negotiable thing here. And like I said, um, some of you, if you feel like you're younger today, you might feel like part of this is not directed to you. Um, well, you can lean in and determine whether that's you or not. But one part that will be for all of us is we're answering the question, what is our priority? What's our priority in life? What's our priority as a church? But what's our priority every single day? And so this whole idea today is what's it look like for us to make sure we are connecting with young people? In fact, why, why do I say that? Because in Mark chapter 9 and Mark chapter 10 in the Gospel of Mark in the Bible, um, Jesus addresses this very issue. And he addresses this very issue in a way that we sometimes miss. And so there's this scene in Mark chapter 9. It comes right after he's healed a man who's possessed by a demon. And then he uses this line. He says this, you better not cause others to stumble, <laughs> especially young people. And then we see these words from Mark chapter 9. Sitting down. Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. Now, you probably didn't catch the significance of the first line in that passage, but I'm going to mention it again. It says, sitting down. And you're like, well, you're sitting right now. Yeah, but in Jesus' day, when a teacher, a rabbi, would stop and they would sit, what that signified is what came next was of the utmost importance, and you shouldn't miss it. So Jesus sits down, and he says to those, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. In other words, once you come to know me and are following me, you're called to live in such a way that your ambition needs to be flipped upside down. You should instead of be asking, what can I get out of this, but what can I give? How can I serve for the sake of others? And then he goes on to talk about children. And this is what's interesting. 
So by the time of the first century, where Jesus, when Jesus lived, um, children were not thought very highly of. In fact, they were afterthoughts in almost everything. Children didn't have influence. They didn't have status. They had no prestige. They were of minimal value in terms of the culture at large. Now, they might be valuable if you had land and they could work your land, but, but they really had no influence, and they were just kind of pushed aside. So we see even in our world today at times it happens where children are the ones discarded or pushed aside. And so we are left with this question. In a culture where nothing was gained by making space for children, Jesus makes space for them. And then he adds this line that, is interesting. He says, how you treat them is how you treat me. Okay. And then he adds this, how you treat me is a reflection of your relationship to the Father. In other words, how you treat kids is a direct sorry, blah, blah, blah. How we treat kids is a direct reflection on how we treat God. That's it. How we treat kids is a direct reflection on how we treat God. And so it should be noted that not only did Jesus stop and talk about kids here, but if you go to the next chapter, chapter 10, we'll look at verses 13 to 16, that again, in just two short passages, Jesus again addresses kids, and this time comes in the middle of how divorce should be handled and how money should play a role in our life and what that role should look like. So two pretty big things. Jesus then says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Now, most of us will have glossed over what's kind of going on around this text. In your Bible, there's probably these little weird subheadings, but they say things like this. Jesus on the way to the cross. Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus on his way to his death. So Jesus on his way to his death, is talking about things that matter, things that are important, things that are big, things that are weighty, things that are heavy. And his disciples don't necessarily know he's going to die at this point. They know something big is coming. There's impending doom. They're not sure what it is. They can feel it. They can sense it. They don't know exactly what's going to happen. But in the middle of this, what we find is Jesus has just said to them, hey, just so you know, um, young people matter, and you need to make space for them. Fast forward not that long, and just like us, Jesus' disciples need another reminder about who God actually is. And so little children coming to Jesus are like, don't you guys understand? We're talking about big, important stuff right now. Don't you understand? We don't have time for you. And Jesus is probably thinking, did you not hear what I just said not long ago? Right, that how you treat them is a reflection on how you treat me, which is a reflection on how you treat the Father. So what are you doing? And I, I have some sympathy for the disciples in this moment. I really do, because it's Jesus. You're talking about adult stuff here. We're talking about divorce and money. You know, like, 
We're talking about some kind of big stuff here. We're talking about what happens when we die. I mean, you're talking about death. Like, this is not really for kids. And he's going, well, how are they going to learn? We don't invite them into these conversations. But he models two important points for us I think are worth mentioning. We need to create clarity around the idea of answering the question, who is Jesus and what does he teach? And the second is just like it. The followers of Jesus must be committed to making space for young people. It's literally a non-negotiable. And so Jesus teaches the way of living into his kingdom, not just with words, but also with his actions. So words and actions matching up really do matter. So why am I focusing on that? Um, Because I want to be clear that one of our roles as a church is to help parents and grandparents disciple their kids and grandkids and to disciple the next generation. In fact, um, so we've been using kind of a book as part of this conversation called Growing Young, and some of you have even purchased it and talked about it. But, but one of the things it mentioned in that book is that the greatest influence on our kids, right? Like we often are worried about peer influence, and that does matter. We're worried about what they might learn at school, and that matters too. But at the end of the day, when it comes to your child's faith or your grandchild's faith, that parental influence matters the most, period. It matters the most. So I'm going to read a couple quotes for you. So this this one. In studying churches growing young, we found that parents' participation in church worship and programming correlates with more mature faith in young people. When parents are intentional about faith building outside of church, overall faith maturity and vibrancy within the congregation rises even more. So what do we mean by that? Well, so here's a simple one that I've started to try to implement in my life. It sounds kind of funny, right? If you're, if you're um, probably older than me, you might go, well, duh. But if you're younger than me, you're going to, oh, I kind of get it. So um, I do this Bible reading plan every day, and I use my phone for it because it, it just gives me all the verses. And I just look them up. All right, and the, it's right there. I click a button, and it tells me what's next. It's great. The problem is I realize that my kids watch me, and it looks like I'm just on my phone. And so... I still use my phone to give me the verses because the plan is there on my phone, but I've started like, just putting markers in my Bible like four or five different spots. And so <clears throat> I kind of leave my phone sitting on the side and I look up the passages in the Bible and you're like, well, why does that matter? Well, because I want my kids to know there's something different between dad playing on his phone or actually reading scripture. It sounds like a subtle thing, right? And I get it. You're like, man, it's just so much easier in your phone. I get it. It is easier. The words are literally exactly the same. But I just want to set an example for my kids that, like, this matters, and so I want to be a priority in my life, and I would like it to be a priority in your life. So the question that you and I get to answer is this. What are ways you and I can take our faith more seriously for the sake of our kids and our grandkids? What are things we can do that we can model this well? See, the problem is we have not always gotten this right. We've kind of given ourselves one of two things, or I'm just going to read this quote, but at one extreme, parents are invited to outsource their children's and teenagers' spiritual development to the church. At the other extreme, parents are shamed into believing they are solely responsible for their kids' faith. The former lets parents off the hook, while the latter heaps on guilt. Both models isolate parents. I want to be clear. It's hard to parent. You think it's not? Ask your parents. They would say the same thing. 
It's tough. And so how are we going to help you do the faith? What if we do this together? What if that's the role of the church? What if we come alongside one another? We, we learn to share in life together. We learn to help one another when we're going through difficult circumstances and times. But parents, it matters. It matters. Right? I've used this line before, and I'll use it again and again. What we model gets repeated. What we model gets repeated. Now, some of us have modeled some stuff. We're going, ooh. Like, when you see your kid do that one thing, and you're like, oh. They obviously saw me do that before. <laughs> or when they use a word that, you know, you don't really want them to use, but they use it anyway, and you're like, you use it correctly, but we don't really want to use that word. And obviously, you heard it somewhere. Did you learn that at school? No. From you, Dad. Oh, okay. Um, but we're talking about faith, right? We think that faith matters. And so one of the things that we're wrestling with is how do we become followers of Jesus in ways that matter in our lives and the lives of our kids? And this next part, you're going to well, you're a pastor of a church, so of course you're going to say this. You're right, that's true. But I believe it or I still wouldn't say it, right? So here's what this line is. Um, if church life is optional for you, don't be shocked when it's optional for your kids. So here's what I mean. I, I remember years ago, I was talking to a pastor, a friend of mine, and he was talking about the story about a guy came in his office. This couple came in, and they were upset because their um, teenage daughter was, was saying she was an atheist. And he was, like, angry about this, and, and he, the pastor was like, well, you know, like, have you, like, explored these things with her and talked to her? Like, no. And he and, and said, so, well, I mean, like, have you made church a rhythm of your life? I'm like, well, yeah, kind of this awkward conversation. He goes, well, I he had a good relationship with him because, I, I mean, this is tough to say. He said, well, I don't think you can be shocked your kid's not, like, committed to this when you make it one out of eight to 12 Sundays at a church, right? If this matters to you and you only show up once every eight weeks, like, why are you shocked by this? Because it's not that big a priority in your own life. So why would it become a priority in your kid's life? And I, first I was like, ouch, like, that kind of hurts. <laughs> you know, that's true, but, but we think about what we model matters, and so even if you're not sure if you believe in Jesus today, what we model matters for our kids. So the question you don't get to wrestle with is, what's the most important thing in our lives? Where do the priorities rank and what we value, and is that what we want it to be? And so I started thinking about my own life. Well, I want my kids to know this. At the end of the day, I hope they know that I think Jesus is the most important thing to me. And that I love them like crazy, and that the most important thing that I dream for them is that they would follow Jesus. And they would be kind of the kind of people who would bring about heaven on earth by how they live. Like, that's my dream for them. Do they know that? By what I prioritize in my life. Your kids or grandkids, I don't care if your kids are 85. Do your kids know that? How are we living? What are our priorities? And so here's the question you and I get to wrestle with. What is most important? I'd say it this way. Um, there's good news for us today. If you're like, I haven't done this quite how I would like to have done it, there's still time. You and I can change today. You and I can decide that right now, right here, that I want to reorient the priorities of my life so that at the end of the day, my kids know what matters the most to me. And so as a church, this is why we want to try to attempt, attempt to prioritize young people and families in every way that we can. One of my favorite things um, on almost a weekly basis is we have a grandson leading his grandparents in worship on Sunday mornings through song. It's pretty cool. 
right, to watch multiple generations. And I know at one level, some of those grandparents are sacrificing some personal preference and what they like for the sake of that. I mean, that, that's, that's an awesome thing for me to watch. It's an incredible thing to see generations of people sitting together and investing in the next generation together. I mean, it requires some sacrifice for some greater than others. But here's the thing. Um, when we embrace young people in the life of the church, it makes everything a little bit better. I love these quotes that I want to share just about that idea. I guess I really enjoy young people who attend our church because I feel like they bring a sort of energy around them. By the way, have you noticed old people are tired? Young people are not? Anyway, um, I just love the way they're so passionate about things. It's contagious to people around them, and it becomes a great benefit to everyone who attends our church. I think visitors can feel it as well. The other thing I appreciate is that young people have a lot of great ideas. I feel like they're able to give us new, young, innovative ideas. I love this other quote from a young adult. My church loved me like God loves the church. I love that line, by the way. This congregation has not seen me as the divorced person, but instead has loved me for who I am today because of my past. They've opened my eyes to a love that gives a love that commits. Everybody rises when you focus on children and teens. And I love this line. I was sharing it with Eileen this morning. Young people are like salt. When they're included, they make everything better. So why am I saying all this? Because I long to be a part of a church that welcomes doubts and uncertainties and questions and makes space for young people. I long for my kids and your kids and your grandkids to know Jesus. I have no greater dream than that. But I also long to be a part of a people who take the words of Jesus seriously, that he really is the most important thing. And we might take so seriously what Jesus says that we might take these words to heart. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. One of my favorite stories is not here. Like, so we're part of the Church of the Nazarene and, and so we have these guys are called General Superintendents and Ladies and they kind of lead the whole denomination. And so I, I love the story about um, there was one of them visiting a church and some... And his grandkids happened to be there, and they're running around, and, and um, some ladies started to scold them. And, and he goes, oh, I think they're okay, you know, and, and kind of joked about it. And, and uh, she goes, well, I don't know whose kids those are. And he goes, well, those are actually my grandkids. And so this lady was, like, appalled, so it's just kind of funny. But to make space requires sometimes sacrificing things we like or wish or long for for the sake of the next generation. So I was thinking about this uh, in this way, right? I, I read a lot of leadership books and, and have read a lot of leadership books. And, and so I was thinking how our church board and staff could come up with some really incredible like systems and plans and strategies, and they could be really, really good. Um, and we could put them on paper and we could put them on walls and we could give them out everywhere and tell you that we want to do this. But here's the problem with any kind of structure or system. Um, if the heart of our whole church is not on board, it's a waste of everyone's time. So the phrase, in terms of leadership, I kept thinking about over and over. It's attributed to a guy named Peter Drucker, and this is the phrase. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. 
Culture eats strategy for breakfast. In other words, we can come up with all kinds of great strategies, but if the heart of who we are doesn't change, then strategy is worthless. You know this in your workplaces. It's no different than in the church. So I'm not asking you and I to come up with some elaborate plan. What I am asking is this. What would happen if we made space for people? In fact, I'll say it this way. I'm asking you and I to begin to live more intentionally and to take the words of Jesus more seriously. See, we want to make the priority of our church young people and their families. Because we know it's hard to parent. If you've been a parent, you know it. If you've watched parents, you know it. My favorite this morning, I walked in and I didn't know the ladies who were serving in a cafe this morning were going to be all dressed up. Um, kudos to them. That was awesome. Um, but I love the one went as tired mom with hair like frizzy all over and like post-it notes that had all these things like basketball practice and homework and laundry and a list of a million things. There was a bunch of them. So if you haven't seen Heather, go find her. It looks great. Um, but I was laughing because like, that's what it's like to parent. You're trying to figure out what do I do with all this stuff? And, and, and I think we forget as we get older, like I watch people with newborns and I'm going, Oh, that looks really hard. Glad I'm not changing any more diapers. Right, grandparents are like, I know. I just hand it back to mom and dad and I go home. It's tough. So what if you and I made space for them and said, hey, like we know your life feels hard, but we're here for you. And so I would say it this way. I'm asking you and I to reevaluate our priorities. I'm asking you and I to model what we want repeated. I'm asking for you and I, for some of us to put some of our desires aside for the sake of the next generation. I'm asking you and I to recognize in the midst of a shifting culture that we have to create space for young people that might make us uncomfortable at times. I'm asking you and I to think about what's truly important and make sure we put our priorities there. So I got to be honest, I wasn't sure how I wanted to end today. I actually literally had question marks in my notes and and so sometimes some of our staff will help look at what I'm saying and go, hey, I, I might add this, or I tweak this, or I change that. And because um, we, we try to make a team effort as much as we can. And so I was, um, I wasn't sure what I was going to say. And then Friday, or I guess it was Thursday, I got a phone call and asking if I could meet with a family. They lost um, kind of the mom had died. They didn't have a church or a pastor or anything. And I said, yeah, I can, I can do that. And so Friday night we met and... Um, I was just writing stories about their mom and, and all kinds of stuff about her life and was asking lots of questions and, and um, just listening. And there was laughter and there were tears. And, and then I, I just asked this question, well, tell me about her faith. Like, was she a part of a church? Like, what did that matter to her? And um, the conversation quickly moved away from the mom to the woman who was in her 50s sitting in the room with me. Um, early 50s. I, I don't know. She might be 50. I don't And maybe she's not 50. So... <laughs> She's not here, so it's okay. Um, and I left her name out on purpose, so. Um. But she, she then told this story. She said, I, um, I went to a church for a little while when I was a teenager with my boyfriend's family. And uh, I got pregnant. And I've never felt so much shame in my life. But what people said to me shouldn't be repeated. And she started to say something else, and she just kind of stopped. And I could see the pain from 35 years ago because her 35-year-old daughter was sitting in the room with us. And, and the daughter goes, Mom, that was, they shamed you. 
I just listened. I wrote some more notes. Family left. And I just sat there for a minute thinking, gosh, I'm so tired of hearing stories of churches that have shamed young people for poor decisions. I'm so tired of it. Yeah, we know that like God's best for someone's life is probably not to get pregnant as a teenager because good. I mean, as a teenager, you don't even know who you are yet. That's probably not the best time. We get that, but it's too late. And so I'm just so tired of hearing stories like that. So I start thinking, what? What if? What if? What if prioritizing young people and families is doing our best to make sure those stories don't keep happening? What if for us we said, hey. We're not telling you you've got to have your life together when you come to know Jesus. In fact, I, the woman who passed away, her husband was sitting in the room and doesn't hear that well, so he missed half our conversation. But, but, but then he, he just said something. I said, you know, we have this group of senior adults that meets and we'd love to have you come and be a part. And, and I think you'd, you know, there's some other guys who've lost their wives and you might find like it'd be a good space for you. And, and he goes, well, I kind of need to get my life together first. <laughs> I kind of laughed at him. He kind of looked at me funny because I'm laughing, and I said, no, 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 you, I think, we've, I think this is a part of the problem. You don't have bad pictures of what the church is. You think you've got to get your life together before you can come be a part, but I think here's what happens. When we come to know Jesus, that begins to make sure our life begins to look more the way it was meant to be. Because apart from that, we're all a wreck. And so as I, as I met with that family, and I prayed for them as they left, I kept thinking, gosh, what will it take for you and I? What will it take for you and I? to prioritize Jesus, to put young people and families first, to make sure that our priorities are lined up. What would it take for you and I to be that kind of a people? And I thought maybe, just maybe, if we begin working towards that as a community of faith, that maybe, just maybe, God will use us in ways that we never thought possible. Just maybe, maybe one more person will decide, hey, you know what, I don't, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know who I am. I don't, my family's a mess, but somehow this idea that, that God loves me, that he sent his son to say, hey, here's how much I love you, that not even death itself can keep me from you, that there is nothing you can do that can separate my love from you. All you have to do is say yes. That maybe just maybe one person will believe that. They'll come to know that. And we'll begin to change generation after generation after generation. But it doesn't happen because we go, well, someday when you're older, we'll care about you. It happens because we go, no, 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 you matter now. And you matter to us. And you matter here. You pray with me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to know your love, to know your mercy and your grace, to know the way in which you invite us to draw near. And Father, we pray that somehow we will become the people more and more who model your love and your faithfulness and your mercy. It will recognize that you didn't desire to create more nations and empires, but you wanted to build a people, a church. And we know often we fall far short of who we're called to be. But we ask that we might begin to get more things right in our lives. And so, Father, we open our eyes and our ears. We help us to truly evaluate what we prioritize and what we model and that that we recognize, man, we have influence with the next generation and we want to not waste that. And Father, I pray for any young person in this room who's like, man, this wasn't really for me, that they would go this, okay, well, what are the priorities of my life? And I can set that for the future right here, right now. 
And so, Father, help us to become the unique people of God you've called us to be, defined by faith and hope and love. We pray all of this in your son Jesus' name.